Um, <clears throat> I do not wish to um, assume that anyone is uh, even remotely interested in, in, uh, in our medical hist- uh, nightmares because you have your own nightmares uh, to share. Unfortunately, I have the microphone. And, uh, <clears throat> but you have asked about my wife, and let me tell you just briefly about her. Um, she, is, uh, she has one more infusion, which is tomorrow. Um, uh, for the first time since this whole episode began two and a half weeks ago, today is the first day that we got a normal white count reading. Um, it was at 8140, which um, <clears throat> anything between five and 10,000 is, is considered normal. So <clears throat> we still have not been given permission for her to travel with me uh, on Monday. Um, I, I'm hoping that she can. Um, um, <clears throat> We'll see, and and we're we're pretty content with whatever way um, God sees fit. But um, the infection is going down. Um, her, the little <laughs> the wound on her elbow that they they opened up. Uh, you know, I you know I don't do body fluids. Does anybody know? <laughs> I don't do body fluids. Well, um, I have done some of that. I had to pack that wound uh, several times, and and um, uh, it it's interesting. Um, but anyway, that, that, the, the packing days are over and that's, that's, that's a good thing. So she's not here because it, uh, these infusions just wipe her out. She goes to the neighborhood Christian center on Wednesdays. I told her not to go, <laughs> um, <clears throat> you know how far that got. Uh, so she went to the neighborhood Christian center and she called me about five fifteen, and she said, I'm just, I'm out. So, and I said, just go to bed. So that's where she is. And, um, I wish She's just really worn out, and nothing is quite normal just yet, but I think we're getting there. Okay, back to uh, Galatians chapter 3. You you know, last week we were together uh, over on Thursday uh, in view of Easter and the resurrection, and then the week before that, I hope you'll recall, what I sought to do um, in Galatians 6 through 9, 3, 6 through 9, is to try and clear away some of the side roads that were in the text so that once we got back to the, the main road, we could, we could fix our whole attention on that. Uh, because the main road um, in these four verses, six through nine, um, <clears throat> have to do with the doctrine of justification by faith alone. Um, let me read uh, them to you, and, um, and then we'll start commenting. We'll probably limit our comments to uh, verse six tonight. Just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness, therefore know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand saying, in you all the nations shall be blessed. So when those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. So here we go again, uh, discussing the doctrine of justification by faith alone, that, that great sola fides, um, the great reformational doctrine. Um, I've done this before. That is what I'm about to, not, not every word, but I mean, I've, we've, we've discussed the doctrine of justification by faith before. And no doubt some of you, I think, probably remember we have done it before and you're out there thinking, uh, he, he's done that before. And uh, it's true, I have. So why do we do it again? Uh, why do we do it so often? I would say that the simple answer to your question is because the Bible does. Um, the Bible repeats this subject 
over and over and over again, particularly in Pauline writings, which we have been discussing with Romans and Galatians. And I, and I would venture this statement that the Bible does speak about this so often because um, the doctrine of justification by faith is the gospel. Um, you have to get this right. Uh, some things you can get wrong, but you can't get this wrong. Um, I want to read you just one sentence. Um, you know, you've heard me say I don't like Bibles with, with notes in them, and I normally don't use Bibles with notes in them. The Bible I'm using right now, which is falling apart, uh, does have notes in it because it was my father's Bible, and I, I thought it would, be not, it would be fun to go through my father's Bible, who is, as you know, deceased. Um, so that's why I've got this Bible. But it's got this, this article on justification right here at Galatians 3. I just want to read you one sentence. I'm going to read you some more later, but just this one sentence. The doctrine of justification, the storm center of the Reformation. I love that. Um, The doctrine of justification, the storm center of the Reformation, was for Paul the heart of the gospel. Yes, that's right. And that's what I've been saying to you. Um, The doctrine of justification by faith alone is the storm center of the Reformation. It's still not settled between Protestantism and Roman Catholicism. It's still not settled. There's still no agreement. There's still no agreement, ladies and gentlemen. Um, and, and this is the doctrine that gave birth to everything that we hold dear. The doctrine of justification by faith alone. So here we are again. We're going to talk about it again. Yeah, we are. And you know, we're going to talk about it next week too. And the next, 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 and the next. Because, ladies and gentlemen, this thing is the storm center, not only is it the storm center of the Reformation, it is the heart of the gospel. This is the thing that you must get right. Um, I want to point out, first of all, that verses 6 through 9 are, are Paul's explanation about what he just said in verse 5. Let me look at verse 5. Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Now, in my Bible, in my copy, there's a dash. There's a big, long dash after faith. What you're getting in verses 6 through 9 is an explanation as to what Paul means by this phrase, the hearing of faith. What is that, Paul? Okay, he's about to tell you. And he's going to do it uh, as he has done a couple of times before by using the illustration of Abraham. Um, This is not the first time that Paul has used Abraham to teach the doctrine of justification by faith alone. He does it in Romans chapter 4, you may recall. Um, he, he does this on a couple of occasions because number one, Paul loves to use the old Testament to, um, to support all of his arguments, particularly when he's talking to a Jewish audience. You can get that talking to a Jewish audience. They love the old Testament. So he uses the old Testament, um, to substantiate his claims, uh, particularly when he's talking to a Jewish audience, but also 
To use Abraham when talking to a Jewish audience is a stroke of genius. And, and I think you can get that too. For, for Jews, Abraham was the top dog. I mean, um, he was considered the father. Now, Moses perhaps was a, a rival. Um, but, I mean, we're sons of Abraham was the Jewish claim. He's the, he's the father of the whole thing. Um, and so to use him uh, to, to uh, overturn the arguments that he was getting from a, a basically Jewish audience is a stroke of genius. If you, can, if you can prove that you guys are wrong by using Abraham, oh my, then you guys are, are, are really wrong. Now, guys, uh, I got to make a quick assumption, although I'm not going to, actually, I'm not going to make this assumption, but you got to know the story about Abraham before any of this makes sense. Um, and if you've never, if you don't know the story about Abraham, you need to know the story about Abraham. And, and I would suggest to you that a good place, a good thing to do is just read, start at the last few verses of Genesis 11 and read through chapter 15 tonight, later on, okay? But I'm just going to give you the kind of the, the highlights of the story. But to give you the highlights of the story of Abraham, I want, I want you to see this. So I want you to open your Bibles to Joshua 24. Joshua. Joshua. That's after the Pentateuch. Um, Joshua, you know, Joshua replaced Moses, but I want you to see something in Joshua 24. Why would we be going to Joshua 24 to learn about Abraham? Well, you're, you're about to see, um, let me read verse Joshua 24, one, then Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel, uh, to Shechem and call for the elders of Israel, for their heads, for their judges, for their officers. And they presented themselves before God. Here he comes. Verse two. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, your fathers, including Terah. Now, you know who Terah was. Well, Terah was Abraham's father. It says it right there. <laughs> How do you know that, Jimmy? What causes it right there? <laughs> your fathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham, and the father of Nahor. Who's Nahor? Abraham's brother. You know, he was the father of Lot. Nahor was. Your fathers, Terah, who, you know, was the father of Abraham, who's the father of the faith, dwelt on the other side of the river in old times. And they served other gods. Abraham was born in a home of polytheists. Look at the next verse. God is speaking. Then I took your father Abraham from the other side of the river. Who's the I? It ain't Joshua. God says, you know, your fathers were a bunch of polytheists who lived on the other side of the river. But I went and got Abraham and I took him to this side of the river. Now, guys, why is that important? Well, because Paul is trying to demonstrate that Abraham was not justified um, due to his own moral exertions. No, no, no. What was Abraham doing when all of this started? Oh, he was just worshiping a bunch of gods. He was a polytheist. And so God comes and gets him. When does he do that? Oh, that's the end of Genesis 11. That's when the story starts. 
the end of Genesis 11, there's Terah mentioned again. Uh, Terah had Abraham, Nahor, and Haran, yada, yada, yada. And then uh, uh, Terah took his son, grandson, yada, yada, yada. And then the story of Abraham begins in chapter 12. Uh, Now the Lord said to Abram. Now the point is, ladies and gentlemen... The Judaizers were saying to Paul, well, you know how you're, how you're ultimately reconciled to God. Well, yeah, I mean, you've got to, you've got to obey certain laws so that you can be reconciled to God. And he says, wait a minute. Paul says, wait a minute, wait, 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 wait. Let's talk about your buddy Abraham. How did Abraham get reconciled to God? Was it through his own moral exertions? No, 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 no. He was a polytheist. And by the way, as the story unfolds, look, look at chapter 15, because that's what's quoted in Galatians 3. Look at, look at uh, uh, Genesis 15, verse 6. And he believed in the Lord, and he accounted it to him for, uh, for righteousness. Guys, look at, I mean, verse 6, that's Genesis 15, 6, that's quoted over here in Galatians 3. And he believed in the Lord. Why doesn't he say, why doesn't, why doesn't the text just say, and he believed in God? He couldn't say that because Abraham is coming from a home of polytheists where there's this God and there's this God and there's this God and there's this God and there's this God. And, this God. and so the reason that the word Yahweh is there is to differentiate him from the polytheistic background in which he was raised. Oh, no, no, no. He didn't believe in, Mil- he didn't believe in Milcom. He didn't believe in um, Zeus. He believed in Yahweh. But now his background was, he was raised in a polytheistic home where there were all kinds of gods named. But we're being told here that God goes and gets him, not due to his moral exertions. And then in this, this early stage of Abraham, oh, well, okay, now I see that there's this Yahweh God. And at this point, and that is Genesis 12, Genesis 13, Genesis 14, he's still thinking that Yahweh is just another one of those gods. And then we come to Genesis 15. And and Yahweh takes him outside and says, listen, see all those stars? Count them. And you can't count them, can you? Okay, I'm going to give you descendants, as many as the stars that you see. And we come to verse 6. And Abram believed Yahweh. And he reckoned it to him as righteousness. That is the verse that is quoted in Romans 4. It is also quoted in Galatians 3, which we are studying tonight. Galatians 3, verse 6. Okay? So there's the story of Abraham, or at least some of it. Um, And Paul is trying to communicate to his Jewish audience that Abraham did not get reconciled to God because of all of his moral excellence. No, 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 no. He got reconciled to God because he believed him. 
which, ladies and gentlemen, is called the doctrine of justification by faith alone. On what ground? No, no, no. That's wrong. We asked. Uh, by which instrument was Abraham reckoned righteousness? An instrument of faith. Guys, um, in the Christian church, the Christian message includes a, a whole lot of truths that the world considers to be preposterous. Like uh, the virgin birth. Hey, we believe that around here, that Jesus was born of a virgin. Uh, the resurrection, we, uh, we certainly said we believed in that Sunday. Miracles, they consider all this stuff preposterous. Does it then surprise you that the world thinks so little of a message that says this? A sinful man is reconciled to God by faith alone. Guys, they don't like that message. Um... Faith is something that honors God because it says, I believe what you're saying to be true. That's what faith does. It says, okay, that's that's what you see happening in in Genesis 15, 6. Oh, I see all those stars and you're telling me I'm going to have all these descendants. Okay, I believe you. I believe you. I believe what you're saying is is to be the truth. And on the basis of that, God reckoned him righteous. Now, faith, as I'm saying, honors God. Works, on the other hand, honor me. Look what I've done to obtain this. Look at the moral excellence that I have that has earned this, guys. The, the, the world prefers a gospel that tells them they can earn something. Um, tell an audience that they can earn something by their moral exertions. And they, they get that message. Tell them that a man is reconciled to God by faith alone. And they look at you with a blank stare. Wait a minute. Is there not some kind of participation on my part? Is there not something that I'm supposed to do to um, earn this? Guys, there's no glory for God in, in a message that tells you to earn something. The glory belongs to you. Um, guys... Christian faith, as it is being illustrated by Abraham in verse 6, which is a reference to Genesis 15. The story is back here. This is just a reference to the story. But Christian faith is the confidence of the heart that God can be trusted when he says... I am willing to accept you via faith. Um, 
What is it that we're confident in? Well, first of all, we're confident in God. But we're confident just like... (laughs) All right, guys. Abraham goes outside and God says, look at all those stars. You're going to have descendants just like that. He says, I believe Yahweh. I believe what he says to be true. And it's reckoned for righteousness. Okay, fast forward. I stand up here and I say to you, God is willing to be reconciled to you on the basis of faith. Are you confident in that message? That's Christian faith. Uh, Christian faith is a confidence of the heart that God will do what he says and he's going to do it through Christ. Such confidence in God is reckoned. It's accounted. It's credited as righteousness. Um, Guys, Uh, There are two things, two things that make for um, Christian righteousness. Number one, faith in Christ. Okay, got that? Which is a gift. But here's the other part of Christian righteousness. God's acceptance of of a godless man... On the basis of the righteousness of another through faith. The Christian message is God is willing to accept you on the basis of faith. Um, That's how righteousness becomes ours, guys. The message of the gospel is... God is willing to forgive the many on the basis of the righteousness of one. Do you believe that? That's called Christian faith. And God credits you as righteous. That God is willing... To forgive the many based on the righteousness of the one. You know, guys, I've done this before and I probably shouldn't, but my, my favorite illustration of that little principle, and I've done this before in here, I'm sorry, is Genesis 18. Do, do you hear me? God is willing to accept the wicked many Based on the righteousness of the one. The story in Genesis 18, guys, is genius. The God, that message that I just said there, the, you know, except the many on the basis of the one, that message is found as early as, if not before, as early as Genesis 18. You know the story. Um, Abraham gets a visit from God. Uh, he tells Abraham that he is going to judge Sodom and he's going to wipe Sodom off the face of the earth. And um, everybody in, in, in Sodom is going to die. And Abraham kind of, really? And then Abraham starts. He starts the questioning. Well, uh, uh, um, Far be it from you to ever do anything wrong. 
But could I ask you a question? Sure. Um, will you forgive Sodom if there are 50 righteous? Will you let the thousands off if you find 50 righteous? God says, yes, I will. And then Abraham says, well, wait, 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 what just How about this? What if there are only 45 righteous? I mean, would you be willing to forgive the wickedness of the rest of the city if we can find 45 righteous inside them? Yes, I will. Well, you know, forgive me, Abraham says, but, but what if we can only find 40? Would, 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 would you forgive them if, if, if there were only 40 righteous in, in, in Sodom? Yeah, I'll take 40. Well, I know I'm, I'm, I know I'm, I'm testing your patience with me now, but um, what if there's only 35? Yep, I'll take 35. 30? Yep, 30 will be fine. You know that story, don't you? It's in Genesis 18. I'm not making this up. How about 25? Yep. I will forgive the whole city based on the righteousness of 25. Abraham says, well, 20? Yeah. By the way, it's in the text. How about how about 10? What if I can only find 10? God says, it's fine. I'll take 10. He said, I'm not going to ask you anymore, but just one more time. What if I can only find five? And God says, I'll take five. And he stops. That's where Abraham stops. He stops at five. What Abraham should have asked. Okay, Yahweh. I want to ask one more time. Will you forgive all of those wicked people in Sodom if I can only find one righteous? He didn't ask that. I guess he got scared off. But what would God have said? Yes, I'll even take one. And that's the message of the gospel. I am willing to forgive the many based on the righteousness of the one. If you can only find one. But there's, a, there's an inherent problem in all that, is there not? Look high and low, ladies and gentlemen. Just find me one righteous. There certainly ain't one in this room. So God says, okay. I'm going to have to provide that too. And I am willing, says God, to be reconciled to you, Jimmy Young, as rotten and filthy and inconsistent and wicked as you are, based on the righteousness of the one. And by the way, not just you, Jimmy Young. 
Do you believe that? That's Christian faith. (laughs) You mean to tell me that God will accept me when I don't deserve any of that, but he will do that based on the righteousness of Christ? Yep, that's it. That's it, ladies and gentlemen. And so what the Judaizers are doing are coming and saying, okay, yeah, we got all that, but you need to add a little bit to that. Do you see how sinister that is, ladies and gentlemen? Oh, yeah, he's really good, that one righteous guy that you sent from above. But we need to help him out. Righteousness is... Faith in the finished work of Christ imputed to you. It is also the proclamation and and description of a God who is willing to accept us on the basis of Christ's righteousness. And I've even got better news. I've even got more good news. Do you believe that? You do? Good. You don't? You're lost. But let me just say this. That belief that you have, even that's flawed. (laughs) um, Even the faith... That says, I have confidence that you, that you, that what you say is true, that you're gonna do that. You're gonna save me based on his righteousness. Even that confidence is broken. It's inconsistent. It's weak. And he accepts that. How do you, how do you know that, Jimmy? Well, Jesus said that. You know that? mustard seed thing (laughs) Um, um, guys to start tampering with that righteousness of the one and start adding things to it is downright diabolical It is to snub. I see the righteous one you sent, but it ain't enough. Hey, guys, I read you a sentence. And by the way, these these articles in the Bible, this is not inspired. So I just want you to know that. I don't even know who wrote this. I agree with it. But I don't even know who wrote this. But I'm going to read you something that he says. You stay with me. Because I think some of you think I make this up. At least this guy agrees with me, or I agree with this guy. Historic Roman Catholic theology includes sanctification in the definition of justification. I didn't make that up. Do you you get that? I'm saying justification is by faith. Rome is saying justification is by faith plus, I'm just going to use that word, sanctification. But what are they saying when they say sanctification? 
works. My behavior, my Christian performance. That gets added in there too. Justification is but, oh, you got to have faith. Yes, sir. But you got to have this stuff too. Can I, can, that was, um, I'll read it again. Historic Roman Catholic theology included sanctification in the definition of justification considered as a process rather than a single decisive event. Rome is saying that justification is a process. Guys, Protestantism from the Protestant Reformation forward has been saying that it is, a, it is an act. Justification is an, it's a declarative act. Um, the Greek word is log, logisthan. Uh, that comes from the Greek word logos. Not again. It comes from the Greek word logos, which means word. Um, to reckon is to speak a word. It's a declarative. That's the only point I make. It's a declarative thing. It's not a process. But if you add sanctification, then justification becomes a process to which you contribute. And so this righteous one, oh, he's great, but let me add my stuff in there. Do you see how diabolical? It's a different gospel, ladies and gentlemen. I keep reading. Um, Considered as a process rather than a single side. And affirms that while faith contributes to our acceptance with God, our works of satisfaction and merit must contribute also. Jesus, God is willing to accept Jimmy Young on the basis of the righteousness of the one. And a few things that he needs to throw in. That's not a gospel, ladies and gentlemen. Um, afterward, uh, wait, hold on. No. Catholic, uh, Roman Catholics see baptism as conveying the sanctifying grace that first justifies us. You know, at baptism, you get, uh, at, uh, as an infant, you get baptized. That justifies you. Afterwards, the sacrament of penance allows supplementary merit to be achieved through works. Okay, I... I grew up and I became a junior high and I found porn. That's okay. You can, we'll give you some things to do uh, that will re-justify you. Securing justification if the grace of God's initial acceptance is lost through mortal sin. So I got justified when I was little, but I lost that because I sinned real bad. So now I got to do some more stuff so I can get it back. Um, this, uh, this supplementary uh, merit does not oblige God to be gracious, although it is the normal context for receiving it. On the Roman Catholic view, believers, listen, effect their own salvation with the help of the grace that flows from Christ through the church's sacramental system. The reformers pointed out That this view of salvation undercuts the sense of confidence that only free grace can provide to those who have no merits. 
One more sentence. Paul had already showed that all people of whatever piety are without merit. Let me explain that. Let's say you go out and you have an affair. And you shouldn't have done that. But I didn't have an affair. So that makes me safer than you. Paul has already showed that all people of whatever piety. You had an affair? I didn't have an affair. I got greater piety piety than you got. Uh, That all, all people of whatever piety are without merit and need a free justification if they are to be saved. Ladies and gentlemen, I hope you didn't have an affair. The consequences of you having an affair are just horrible. Me too. They're just horrible. You know, I could end up pumping gas at Costco. Um, You know, the consequences, humanly speaking. But the gospel, ladies and gentlemen, is I am, no matter how pious I might be or you might not be, neither one of us. Affairs, no affair, neither one of us still have any merit. And what we need is a merit that is outside of us to be given to us, to be reckoned to us, credited. Ladies and gentlemen, the only gospel that is beautiful is the gospel that tells you the God who your sin has so offended is willing to be reconciled based on the merits of another. And once I believe that, okay, there's my merit. It's in him. God gives me credit for Christ's righteousness. That other gospel, go out and do some things. And, and then when you lose it, go out and do some more. No wonder you don't have any assurance. Because you don't know that you've ever done enough. I can tell you. No matter how pious you are, you ain't done enough. So you stayed out of an affair all of your life. Good, good, so did I. This far, I've still still got plenty of time. Um, But no matter how pious I might be, or you might not be, both of us are void of any merit, except a merit that might be given us that belongs to Christ. What a gospel, ladies and gentlemen. I don't want you to go have an affair. I mean, I hope I'm, I hope I'm not, because the consequences, humanly speaking, are terrible. But the gospel is the same. Merit comes from one source, and it ain't from you. Even though you stayed out of that, good. I'm glad you did. But that doesn't merit you anything. Justification is based on the righteousness of the one.
We got to quit. Oh God, I am privileged beyond measure to get to try to explain that. And if I have clouded the understanding of your people, would you forgive me and straighten them out? Would you communicate to them very clearly the beauty of this message that we can have confidence in what you've said about how you will be reconciled? The world just doesn't get a message that doesn't have some kind of earning in it. But they don't like our virgin birth and resurrection message either, Lord. We believe that a man is justified by faith alone. Just like Abraham. For those, Lord God, that are here tonight who have, who have grasped that, we bless you. If you have brought others here tonight who have not yet seen the beauty of this perfect Savior of ours, open their eyes that they might see it now. We ask it, of course, in Jesus' name.